Hey there, welcome to the Northwest Audio Podcast Midweek Formation, where we give some supplemental content in order to form us as followers of Jesus beyond Sunday mornings. My name is Nick, I'm the community pastor here at Northwest, and I'm here with our lead pastor, Luke, and one of the members of our Northwest teaching team, Chris. Welcome, Chris, to the podcast. Glad to be here. Welcome to the the land of good things. Uh, Today we're going to be talking more about the message that Chris gave last Sunday called Marriage is Sacred. Uh, If you haven't heard it yet, go listen to it. You can do that on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now. If you just go back an episode, you'll find it right there. Uh, Before we begin, I do want to remind all of our listeners, uh, we want you to be involved and engaged with this. So if you have any questions about sermons you hear or about any faith-related things for that matter, uh, please, you can submit those on our website under media or using the QR code on the chairs on a Sunday morning. So we encourage you to use that resource to your benefit Uh, as much as you can. Chris, Nick, and I are really glad you're here, and we're not just saying that. This was part of the vision, was to have guests from the preaching team, guests from other leadership roles in our church, guests uh, who would maybe describe themselves as attenders, but maybe don't fill a role of a, a volunteer on the preaching team. So it's especially cool that you gave up some hours of your day, man, to be here and serve our people in this way, to, to form our people beyond Sundays. And one of the things that you said during your sermon, uh, it was in your intro, you talked about how important it was for, hey, singles, listen up. Don't talk yourself out of paying attention for the next 40 minutes, uh, because you matter a lot. Um, and what would we say now to those who are listening to this podcast, who are single too, they're like, oh my gosh, an- another another um, teaching on on marriage or a follow-up on marriage, and I'm not married. Um, is there anything that you didn't say on the topic of singleness as it pertains to marriage that you'd want to say now here on this podcast? I feel like the topic of singleness could be either, either be its own sermon or could be its own, like, separate discussion that needs to happen mm. altogether. I don't know if... The, Maybe there's a sermon there, but I don't know if it needs to be. A discussion is definitely needed, and it's like more than like a five-minute, hey, let's address this. Um, But if you could summarize it in a tweetable sentiment or a paragraph on Facebook sentiment, being able to summarize, listener who is single, hear me when I say. The church... I would so I would say the church recognizes how difficult it is for people that have been single for many many years. Mm. Um, like the tendency is, sorry, I'm going to ramble. the The tendency is, single people are just in their early twenties, mm. but that's not the reality. the right. rea- The reality is there are people that have been single for twenty five years. There are people that have wanted to be married and just it's n- it's not happened. And there's like there's so many different like I said there's two categories of single people but really there's subcategories in both of those camps and so it's not just like one type of person and so like man even on Sunday I'm saying this and I'm I'm not making eye contact but I'm seeing faces where it's like Mm -hmm. that person's not in their early twenties like that person has been walking through this for a period of time and so the tendency is. But what do I do in my loneliness right now for single people? Yeah. Like, 
yes, there's the mission of God. Yes, God's called me to this. Yes, Paul has said this and all of that. But what do I do in my loneliness? And so I would say, I would say like, that's where it's a separate, that's where it needs to be a longer discussion. So I would say to those people in a short, condensed version, God recognizes, God empathizes with the loneliness, but then also God provides the community both with other people and then the community with Jesus and the community with the Holy Spirit to fulfill those relational voids in our lives. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, thinking through the idea that God just recognizes where we're at, Mm -hmm. I feel like for, and this applies to a lot of different situations, a lot of different scenarios within the church, not even just singleness, but for singleness in particular, I feel like the church harps on marriage so much that if you're single, you just be like, man, I'm just the odd man out. Mm. Like, man, I'm just, am I not welcome here? Am I like not meeting the fullness of what God wants of me because I'm not getting married, you know, because I'm not, you know, ring by spring, <laughs> like, cause that's not happening. Like, what does that mean for me? And so that speaking that truth over people of God recognizes you, God sees you and God empathizes with you wherever you're at. And like that, that's a valid place to be. You know, we're not expecting you to be someplace else. I think it's super important just for people to receive that and, and speak that over themselves. Yeah, Chris, you used the, um, you described it as if you are single, you do not have a scarlet letter. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's obviously some history there to teach for that to make complete and total sense to anyone who's like, what do you mean by scarlet letter? I, th- I think that there is a deep-seated fear in singleness that I am incomplete, mm, yeah. right? And if you are listening to this podcast and you are a single person, hear me when I say, as a married person who has been married for almost 11 years, there have been times where I have not been near Jesus' heart and I have felt incomplete. And so... There is an assumption, and really, I think it's just a a lie or a um a, a misunderstanding of the purpose of marriage. And you get Hollywood saying like, "You complete me," right? right. Wasn't it Tom Cruise? I don't even know the movie. No, no right? You complete me. It's a lie because yeah. only Jesus can satisfy that part of you. Only Jesus can quote-unquote, complete you? Is there companionship that comes along with the marital covenant? Well, of, of course. And so it certainly can be a solution for loneliness and a solution for long-term partnership or building a family and stuff like that. And yes, I do believe that marriages are the foundation for which a society flourishes, but there is this deep, deeply rooted lie, this insecurity that is, I am subhuman, I'm sub-Christian, if I'm not married, yeah. and that it could it could not be further from the truth, which is that there is no human that will be able to complete you the way that you think marriage will. It is only forever and always Jesus that will, um, quote unquote, complete you or satisfy the part of your soul that longs for that connection. Yeah, Chris, you even said something about that, referring to the idea that like you're always going to be a crummy god yeah. for your spouse. Yeah. That was so good. That's what. That's when you were just saying that, Luke. That's exactly what came back through my head. Is yeah. like, 
You are not your spouse's savior. And so for single people to think that a spouse will ever be what only Christ can fill, it's it's a lie. Yeah. Well, no one can ever feel, like fulfill that expectation yeah. for you. No one's ever going to, like, you're never going to actually achieve any sort of happiness because you're going to be waiting, you're going to be looking in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, and that even happens in marriages. Like when you are married and you're like, oh, I, why am I not happy in my marriage? Is because you have such lofty expectations for your spouse to mm. save you and to be God in your life. And that's that's terrible. Like that, they're not going to meet that expectation. It's it's unfair, honestly. It's it's like I can't I can't meet that for you. Um, I don't know. I just think mm. that is such an important thing for people to hear because it's because, like you said, Luke. It's that's Hollywood. Like that's every everything that you see about love is you complete me. Like I, my life was be would be nothing without you. Mm. That's super unhealthy. <laughs> it's based on it's based on the fate the fate principle. Like oh fate will lead me to just the right person. Right. To your point, this would be an entirely separate subtopic to this main topic, right? But this this horrible horrible lie that uh, there is just the right person out there for you, and we have no scripture evidence for fate. We have absolutely no scripture evidence for um, just the right one. Actually, I think that this whole um, you know soulmate language is the dumbest thing that has ever infiltrated the church. Well, what it does, it encourages a sort of codependency and encourages this savior complex of making your spouse your god. Sure, and it also it also uh, perpetuates the I'm looking for the perfect person. As if a perfect person exists. Yeah, you'll never find it. And so, like, what happens? It, it, you go through relationship after relationship after relationship, and you're like, this person is not who I'm looking for. They're not my soulmate. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, your soulmate is the person you say I do to. You don't find your soulmate. Yeah. The person you marry becomes mm. your soulmate. And I just think that's so critical because think about it. If one person married the wrong person... It screws it up for everybody else. That's how the math works out. If you didn't marry your soulmate, and you married the wrong person, everyone else on planet Earth now, it screws up their soulmate chances. So for anyone who's listening right now who is single, and they think a soulmate exists, or that fate will lead you to soulmate, that is not how the living, breathing God works. There is or a right the, person. <laughs> there is a compatible person. Yeah, there, there's a right type of person that you should be looking for, yes, but you're never going to find someone that meets and checks every single box that you could possibly have and be the the only thing. Before we move on, I do want to make sure that we touch on one last thing regarding um, singleness. When you referenced what Paul said about you know remaining mm-hmm. single, he's like, hey, I would prefer it if you stayed single. I feel like that verse can be difficult for some people. I don't know if we just want to like talk about that a little more and expand on that verse, unpack it a little bit more of like, does that mean if I'm single, I should just remain single even if I want to get married? You know, and it, or if I'm married, does that mean that I made a mistake getting married and that I, does it, does, does my marriage hold me back from, from ministry and from what Paul is referring to? You know, if Paul preferred singleness, like what does that mean? Like what does that verse imply for us? I don't, I certainly don't think Paul is saying, um, you should pursue singleness. I certainly don't think that he's saying, if you're having marriage problems, you should have been single. Mm. So I, I don't think that's 
I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, as it pertains to the mission of God, I would have preferred everyone to be single. Because what he's saying is your focus is on the mission of God. And nothing else. And nothing else. Like, there, there are times because I bring baggage into my marriage and my wife brings baggage into our marriage that we have to, in a way, pause the large-scale mission of God, like making disciples that make disciples. We have to pause that because we can't go further because we have to focus on this baggage because it's reared its head. And now mm. we're kind of in this spot where either we're arguing or one of us is hurt or one of us is upset. So now our focus has to be on making each other more like Christ. And that's calling each other out of our baggage. But that takes away from making disciples that make disciples. And so in Paul's mind, he's like, we should all be single. We'd get a lot more done. Paul's one track minded. Yeah. Like he's, he's un, I can't remember what it's called. It, it, the word's like unfettered, fettered or feathered, whatever it is. But anyways, he's not attached to anything in this world. Yeah. Paul's saying, go, 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 go. And, but that's, that's where he's coming from. Right. And you got to remember, like before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, who was a, a zealot, who was out there, like on his own beliefs, was out there killing Christians. Like yeah. Paul was getting after it, whatever it was. And so Christ meets him, encounters Jesus, saves him, and now he's on mission for right. Christ. And so we're naturally going to see the same thing from the same person, only the application is different. I certainly don't think he's saying, like, you should always be single. And if you're single and you have the desire to marry one day, you need to get rid of that. Right. Um, I don't think that's what he's saying. It's but, just more of a Paul being like, hey, I'm just going to insert myself here. Christ doesn't say this, but I think we should all stay single so we yeah. can get this done. Yeah. Well, I just think your ministry changes. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking of the things that I did in ministry before I got married. And the things that I do now after I got married are definitely not the things I did in ministry before I got married. And I just think your your ministry changes. It's so true. And it's just... Well, it, then it changes again when you have kids. Yeah, it, it really does. It's like you're just adding more strings into the mix. And it's just, it's just, it's a little bit more messy. It's not as direct as it was before. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's as bifurcated as good and bad. I don't think Paul mm -hmm. is saying... Um, Marriage is a bad way mm. to live on mission. And singleness is the right way to live on mission. He's just saying, look, call a spade a spade here. When you're single, there's a there's a different level of flexibility and autonomy you have to engage in the mission of God. And you might be single listening, it's like, who how do you how do you know? It's like, well, I was I was single until I was 26. And I did started doing ministry when I was 20. So for six years, I did ministry a certain way. Hmm. And now that I'm 36, you know, 10 years later, I've done ministry a certain way. And so there is a difference. There is a difference in engaging the mission of God between singlehood and marriage. And I would not say it's as simple as one is good, one is bad, one is less, one is more. It is just different. It's just different. And I used to, <clears throat> I used to travel a bunch to do mission work pre-marriage. When I was a student pastor, kids would come over. We'd have pizza parties and movie nights. 
You were part of that ministry years ago, yeah. Chris. It's it's really funny to hear you say it because I was able to see this this single version of Luke. Yeah, we like we lived together, did ministry together, and I'm just picturing like these awful smelling students would come over to our house because like all students have bo. I hope they they're smell listening right now. So bad. bad. Like, but they would come over at any hour of the night. Mm. It, was, it was either a prank or they were serious, but like it was an open door policy. There were students in and out of that apartment, like constantly in and out of that apartment. And I remember, yeah, I remember when you met Ashley. And I remember even then, just dating, things changed a little bit. So the focus shifts. It shifts. Guess what I do now? Not that. Yeah. <laughs> so you you don't have a rotating door? No. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> no, he has three small children now. <laughs> Different bad smells in the house. <laughs> Boy, that's true. <laughs> oh, man. So looking at the beginning of your message, talking through the sexual revolution and how that kind of um, has affected society at large in the West. Um, or I don't even know if it was the West or if it was just... I don't even know if that's a global. It's just mainly us. I mean, it probably affected... Mainly us doing the yeah. stupid stuff. Um, I... I can only imagine like what the pioneers of that would say today being like, you know, oh, this is a vision realized. Like this is what we were shooting for. But then at the same time, also, I wonder if they would know if they'd look at it and be like, this, we're not as happy as I had hoped we would be. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Is, is Do you think they would view it like that? Or do you think that this was what they had in mind? Like this was the goal? Yes. Both, yes. a, both hands. I mean, in any, when you're the founder of anything, like, or like think, think tank group of people, like a group of 10, 15 people, even though this was probably way more than that. This was an ideology that was growing among many different groups of people. But if you think like small group people, they were going to start this thing. Um, over the course of time, you're going to have like mission and vision drift. And like, there's going to be some that become a little bit more extreme. So is where we are right now, where they envisioned it being? I think in some ways, yeah. I'm sure there were some people in, like, as this whole thing started out, they did envision where we are now. They did envision like multiple genders. Yeah. They did envision that. Why? Because, well, it's all about the pursuit of individual happiness, um, and they get to define what that happiness is, like whoever whoever they is, right? Like, but they're in control of whatever that conversation looks like. And then I also think there are some people that were like, "Oh my goodness, this this spiraled out of control. This right. went way further than what we thought it actually would go." Uh, I think there's, I think it's both. I think it's both and. And I heard it said once. Um, I can't remember exactly how it was said. But it was along the lines of what is what is accepted at a small level in one generation, the next generation will take it even further. Mm. And so yeah. uh, someone way smarter than me said it much better, and it was, it was tweetable that way. But <laughs> that's kind of, that's the idea. Like if you accept this small amount right now, the next generation will take that and they will go like significantly further with it than you did. Uh, and so it's a matter of, looking towards truth 
And if you accept anything that's not truth, you better expect the next generation to take that a step further. Mm. Um, and I think that's just kind of what's what's happened. I, I think this kicked off, and hey, we're gonna be ha- we're gonna be happy. We're gonna have more fulfilled uh, relationships and marriages, and this is gonna be the goal. This is the best thing for all of us. Um, well, the next generation that wasn't a part of that original conversation said, "Well, yeah, but what if we go here as well?" And then the next generation said, "Well, well you can add this, this, and this." And then it will be even more happier. And it's all, I think it's that the idea of it is all pursuing happiness, but we're letting the worldliness say this is what is happy. Yeah, it comes down to like a definition of happiness. And what the world defines as happiness is liberation. Like you're liberated from all outside confinements in a way, um, which, like you said, is like the extreme version of what they were going for back mm-hmm. then. Yeah, you know, they were like, "Hey, let's get rid of some of the the things that kind of hold us back from what we might want to do." Mm-hmm. And then time after time it was like a let's just get rid of everything that holds us back from anything. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so f- funny that there has been an entire revolution committed to take off the restraints so I have no limita- limitations in how I express my love or my sexuality or whatever in the context of relationships. And yet it's the it's quite literally the only field of study or knowledge that we do this to. No one is talking about the constraints of physics. I, I would like to take the constraints and limitations of physics so I can jump off of a building and float. I want to fly. Dude, me too. Right? And so we we what we do <laughs> is we pick and choose these um these areas of life where there is absolute truths. Whether you are a Christian or not, physics is true. Whether you are a Christian or not, biology is true. Whether you are a Christian or not, chemistry, math, these things are true. It doesn't matter if you're a person of faith. But when it comes to sexuality, relationships, um, the topic of happiness is, is paramount. And, and happiness is the ultimate goal. And anything that gets in the way of happiness is in my way and is a limitation on on my life. The irony of this conversation is that this wouldn't make any sense to a non-believer, to an ungenerated person. Only we're really we're really talking to we're really preaching to the choir right now. If you think about it, if Christians are listening to this podcast, um, the hope is that this is a supplemental forming you throughout the week, and that Christians really have no excuse. Yeah. If you have submitted yourself over to Christ, if you are under the authority of God's word, then whatever is informing you is also going to form you. And if something outside of the Bible is informing you and it conflicts with the Bible, you have the wrong thing forming you. And so the, the question I'd like to pose, you know, after um, you ask that to Chris is like, how do we influence a society that is convinced wholeheartedly the same way a faith community is convinced. Because I don't want to play us and them. I don't want to do A team versus B team. I yeah. want to. I want the Church of God to be the influencing, the influential society by which society takes their cues. The Church is getting this right. Let's follow their lead. I think it comes down to the difference of joy and happiness. So we've been saying happiness. Yeah. We're going to pursue happiness. This is the, this is what will make us happy. And 
happy is fleeting. Like make the make the joke every now and then. Like you can be happy coming in on Sunday morning and then leave and give someone the finger because they cut you off in the church parking lot. Right. Because your happiness wanes. Like it goes. It, it, it's fleeting. Joy has to be rooted in something that is is long lasting. And so I think we get into so many arguments. We get this as a as a group of Christians, as the big C church, we get into so many different arguments that robs the joy because it takes the root system away from where it's supposed to be mm. originally. So we say, well, this person in this church said this thing, and now I've got to fight against that. And your joy's robbed, and now you're into this social media argument that just is not going to go anywhere. But like, I think it's the difference between joy and happiness. I would also take that a little further and say, that is, that is the thing that separates us. That is the thing that, you know, we're trying to convince is like, Hey, happiness isn't the goal. Joy is the goal. Um, but I would say that if we want to influence people, um, it goes a little bit back to what we've talked about in recent weeks. Uh, is that discipleship starts with relationship. No one will ever listen to you or want to be on board with you if you are not nice to them. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good... Yeah, and so let, let let this whole idea of whatever's forming you, like, you know, will determine the trajectory of your life. And, and you, you know, Luke, you said we're preaching to the choir. The people are already, you know, believe in this. People are already kind of on board with this. You have to understand that anyone that isn't Christian isn't, like you can't expect them to be on board with this. So like we should have compassion for people knowing that, you know, they aren't being formed by the same things that we're being formed by. And so we can't expect them to be where we are at as far as, you know, pursuing joy and pursuing this, pursuing this. We can't push our our moral, you know, our moral thoughts and, and anything that we believe onto them and expect them to just get it because they don't have the relationship to to be the foundation of that. You know, like that's not there. And so that should inform us as Christians of how can we interact with people better and see them as human beings who are being formed just like we are. They're just being formed by the wrong thing. That's not their fault. The Bible is constantly um, um, crying out for the sanctification of, of followers of Jesus. Sanctification does not apply to a non-believer, to someone who's not met the living, breathing God, who's not been sealed by the Holy Spirit, been regenerated by God himself. And I think that going back to what you were talking about with the sexual revolution and this experiment that the, the nation has been under now for the past several decades, I think that you said something to the point of, you said um, what one generation accepts in a small amount, the preceding generations will exasperate and amplify and multiply. And I think there is certainly danger there, but you also said hope shines brightest mm. in the darkest of places. And so I know this sounds a little bit backwards, but I, I am convinced that the darker and darker the world gets when it comes to relationships, the value of human life, um, the, the value of, of um, sexuality within limitations, these, these, these things that the Bible has taught now for 2,000 plus years. I actually think that as the nation, the world, society at large continues to be influenced by demonic forces and the enemy, the Church of Christ continues to brighten and brighten and brighten in contrast to that darkness. 
Yeah. So we see the hope of Jesus. We see Jesus himself getting brighter, more glorified, more um, more attractive when he's when this light is compared to the darkness that is in our world. And I just think that if you're listening right now and you are on the fence about Jesus, uh, he is not asking you to clean up your life first before you start following him. That's not how it works. That he is he's an amazing manager of your soul and uh, you don't have to go through a bunch of hoops or clean your life up, so to speak, to be in a faith community. It's not about that. Uh, morality is not a prerequisite to following God. It is a product of following God. Yeah. And if the church can accept that truth, that God himself has established standards, not to rob us of our happiness, but to create a long-lasting joy, mm. like you were saying. And that long-lasting joy is ultimately something that when you taste, you must have more of it. And being married for 11 years, now I know you've been married for uh, just a little bit longer than me. I remember being at your wedding. There's something profoundly, beautifully boring about marriage at year 10. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. And yes. like, the, like the, the spark of the first 6, 12 months, that's long gone. Mm. Now it's the joy of long, committed, family-building, decision-making, the word submit, being there for each other and lifting each other up. And we are we would make the worst reality TV show ever. Mm. Our marriage is beautifully, wonderfully boring, just the way I hoped it would be. Mm. And I, I think that that just makes for bad TV. So it's not it's not out there. No. It's not forming our people. Yep. It was very intentional that I used resources and, um, yeah, just resources and articles not written from Focus on the Family, not written from, like, Christian resources. There's a reason. I, there were plenty of resources that I could have pulled from that are Christian, um, but I wanted to pull from resources that were far from that. I mean, week in, week out, most of those resources that I pulled are the um, – you know, the Wall Street Journal, the Critic, the Atlantic, most of them are producing articles that it's uh, predominantly clickbait, far from Jesus and all of these other things. And yet they're writing these articles saying we have a problem. And then those same articles are writing like, maybe there's something to monogamous marriage. Hmm. And like, as I'm looking at these resources, I'm like, yeah, yeah, there is. Duh. There is something to monogamous marriage. I've been trying marriages. to tell you. Yeah. And so, but... But that's to go back to your point. That's that's hope shining through the darkest of spaces. Like, is it the church that is extending this message, and the world's like, "Oh my gosh, you're right." Uh, no, it's the spirit. Even though, yeah, even though the church has been saying this, it's the it's it's the Holy Spirit and saying, "Well, okay, they're not picking it up there, so I'm just going to go to the Wall Street Journal. I'm going to have pick them it up here. write this yeah. article that something has broken." Well, honestly, I think that's something written within the very grain of how the universe works and how the world works and how people work. Like that was something that God just created from the beginning. Even if it's not like a the spirit is like, hey, you're doing it wrong. You know, even if it wasn't like a whisper, but it was literally just the fact that like it doesn't matter who you are, you can notice that something's not right, mm -hmm. that we weren't made for this. Yeah. We weren't made to be like this. Mm -hmm. We were made to be this other way. Because, you know, we we tried this. It's like trial and error. We tried this, and it's 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 making us more unhappy. It's making things worse. 
maybe maybe we weren't supposed to do this. Uh-oh, you know, we weren't wired for this, weren't cut out for this. And so it's almost just like an, a general awareness of our design of our of the way that God intended for us to live. Um that I think people are just it's becoming too big for people not to notice. I just hate how we as humanity always have to learn things the hard way. You know? Like that yeah. like it, it it not until it hit rock bottom, right? And he even used the Christy on Sunday you talked about how uh, the the tragedy of, of marriage as seen by a secular society is that it's like a garment. Mm. And then when it wears out, you can just trade it in for the new one, which is kind of ironic because these articles are basically saying that technology of monogamous marriages doesn't expire. The technology of clothing has been around since God made coverings for Adam and Eve. There are just some things, rules in the universe... God, God designed things, these woven into the very fabric of, of, of his creation. These things don't expire, these, these um, tech technologies. I just did quotes for any, every, all the listeners right now. They can't see my quotes. <laughs> all these technologies. But the technology of monogamous marriage, it doesn't expire. There's not something better. Well, and it's There's no upgrade. It's, and it's because it's written into... That DNA. I, I like to use the analogy of, of a piece of wood and how the wood has grain. And if you go, if you, you know, rub your finger on it with the grain, you know, it can feel kind of smooth, but then you go against the grain and you're going to start to get splinters. God created us with a specific grain. And when we go against that grain that he intended for us, we get, we get splinters. We get hurt. There's messes. There's, there's pain. There's trauma. There's all these things that aren't the way they were supposed to be. Mm. And so, like I said, we're just starting to feel those splinters enough that it's it's hurting a little bit more, and we're like, ah, something's wrong here. Something's wrong. Let's kind of shift gears a little bit um, and shift more towards this other important thing you talked about, um, the word submit. Um, I, I don't know. That, that really stood out to me. I mean probably stands out to everybody that's just the word everyone wants to hear you know what i mean like when you say we're gonna open up to ephesians 5 they're like oh man what are we gonna (laughs) it's just submit everyone thinks the word submit means obedience no but that's not what that greek word meant no so when i'm so so when i'm studying uh ephesians 5 1 i already know um i don't know i don't know why like for years i've always known like that submit thing, like it rubs people the wrong way. I don't know what it is, but like the last two, three, four years, every time you hear someone get close to that submit word in 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 Ephesians five, man, it's just like whatever reason the last few years, it's just been like, no, no, don't mention this word, don't do that, and. I'm just trying to rack my brain on like why why like why is this such a triggering word especially in light of kind of what I mentioned like we're all submitting like all of us submit throughout our days um and our and our like our weeks like why is this a, and it is it, what i said like the sin of a few people have ruined what paul had intended to be good um and when it's taken out of context, when it's misapplied, when men have taken weak, I should, I will say it again, when weak 
childish men take a verse out of context and misapply, not even misapply because it's not even for them. When they misdirect mm. a verse like that, it becomes incredibly harmful. Um, and I, yeah, I firmly stand by it. Like I've seen it firsthand. I've seen, yeah. I have seen men use that verse um, to justify their abusiveness. And man, I'm going to get something that gets me real fired up. Like, yeah. Can't say it on the podcast. It's just it's infuriating because it's supposed to be this beautiful picture. Like it's supposed to be a beautiful picture of each person mutually lifting up each other. But what's happened is a f- the sin of a few people have said, you know, you do as I say, and that's abuse. And it's not even their verse. It's yeah. not even a verse for men. Yeah, I love that you said that. You you were like, uh, you know, this verse isn't even for men; it's for women. Some, you said, some men have commandeered this passage. Men shouldn't quote this for their wives; it's for women to obey, not wow. men to command. It's so true. And frankly, this is the importance of teaching and preaching the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, this 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 verse, this passage, really isn't even applicable to. A, a person outside of a faith community or do, doesn't describe themselves as a person of faith. This would not apply to them. It It is Ephesians 5. It is the letter being read to the church in Ephesus. And you get these misunderstandings of um, submission, which is often um, equated to obedience, which the Greek word there is hupaka, uh Hupakoi. Mm-hmm. Hupakoi. 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 <laughs> that means to obey. That is not the submit word in Ephesians 5. Mm. The Greek word in Ephesians 5 is hupasteo. Uh, hupasteo. Hupasteo. You could be Say making that. this up and no one would know. No, it's correct. Hupasteo. I'll vouch for him on this one. <laughs> Some things I won't vouch for you on. Thanks, man. Hupasteo. Hupasteo means to lift up, to support, to elevate. Okay, this is the importance of teaching and preaching God's word with wisdom and handling it with humility and allowing God's word to, to interpret itself. And it is a tragedy that the church has a reputation of men in the church who have taken that word and said that means to obey. Yeah. Submit to me. Submit to me. Well, and it's all let's also not forget talking just about cultural context. Why should the wife lift up her husband? Because in that culture, the husband has all the power. Like women women didn't have really anything at that time and so it's like, hey, you know, support like help help lift up the husband so that he can be helpful to you. And then I even made a note of this when listening to your message. Um, uh, if men, if men obey what's in verses twenty-five to twenty-nine of love your wives and give up yourself for them, then it wouldn't be triggering or difficult for mm-hmm. women to do what's in 24, mm-hmm. twenty-two through twenty-four. It is not difficult to lift someone up when you really want to lift them up because they just love you that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at any successful marriage. Look at look at any couple anywhere that's been married for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and they have a healthy marriage just because you're married that long doesn't mean it's healthy, but 
Look at any marriage that's healthy and been along, been around that long, and the wife has no problem with this verse. Because it's not even on her radar. No. Yeah. Because her husband is the kind of man who consistently yep. submits himself unto the Lord. Yep. She doesn't have to think about it. Nope. It's a joy. Yeah. It's a delight to mutually lift each other up yep. instead of fighting for power. Hmm. And it is incumbent upon the church to clarify the meaning of the text so that men can repent mm-hmm. of calling on their wives to obey them and for women to be released of the pressure or burden to say, you mean you mean I have to submit myself to this abusive man? And churches have said, well, that's what the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's sickening. And that is why I feel like a midweek formation podcast is justified to clarify these things so that people will understand that what has been traditional for many decades is not necessarily biblical. Mm. Yeah. People have messed it up. And honestly, it goes exactly with what we said before. Things that get accepted then in the next generation wow. get exaggerated. Mm. Yep. So it got accepted at the mm. beginning. It got bigger and bigger and bigger, and look where we are now. We're seeing the splinters. We're seeing it get so bad that anyone can look at this and say, this is harmful. Any any person can look at the church and look at, um, you know, what a lot of marriages end up being. You know, like you said, 50% of marriages end mm-hmm. up in divorce. Why? Because if they're Christian, they took this verse wrong. And they decided that, they, like, it was, they decided, like you said, it wasn't, they decided it was a power grab. It's not a power grab. And so because it was accepted there and got taken further and further and further, people are getting hurt. People are, are, marriages are being destroyed. And it's all because we've misconstrued this one word from support and lifting up to you obey me and I'm in charge and I have power, which is never what it was supposed to be about. I want to speak to the wife that's listening to this podcast right now who is um, triggered by that word submit. Yeah. Like her heart, your heart, sister in the Lord, needs to know that if you have been abused in the past by a husband or currently under under the abuse of a man, and he is using this to justify that power. He can't. (laughs) <laughs> he is, but he is dramatically misusing. Um, it is inappropriate. It is sinful to misuse God's word to consolidate power in yourself. Well, you know that's what that's that's what it means when uh, God says, "Don't use my name in vain." Don't steal it. Don't, don't steal take my, it. He's not saying, "Hey, you know, don't don't say it willy nilly." You know, no. He's saying, "Don't slap my name on your agenda." Yeah. Yep. Don't put my name on your grab for power because that's not what I'm about. It's never what I've been about. Don't put me on that. And if so, if you are, if you are a wife in a in a nuclear family unit listening to this podcast, and you're like, oh, that's what that word means. May you find the favor and mercy of our great God, and may you sense like the burden lifted off of your soul that the only man that the Bible calls us to obey is Jesus, right? And that if your husband is hupatasso or hupasteo, I can't even remember the word now, hupatasso, I think it is. Hupasteo, I think so. Okay. Hupasteo, so you said earlier. Hupasteo. 
to lift up, if he is lifting you up, if he is supporting you, if he is elevating you, um, he's doing he's doing that word right. He's doing it right. If you are doing that for him, you're doing it right. It has nothing to do with power and obedience. And if you're single, notice that Paul uses that word even outside those those couple verses in saying submit to one another in all things. All people lift each other up. Lift each other up. That is that is your job in the church. If we want the church to be an encouraging and edifying place where people can be filled up and people can be sent out, the only way to do that is if we lift each other up. An example of submission, a practical one, is I submit to my wife in all things home finances. I don't really make any large-scale decisions for um, our family's budget and finances in general which that you know the the joke in our family is that I'm intimately aware of the financial reality of our church and know very little about the financial reality of my home <laughs> because I completely submit to Ashley because she not only does she desire to do it uh, she does have a knack for it not that I couldn't do it but she's willing to and she's quite good at it and I like supporting her and elevating her in it. it doesn't mean she just excludes me from it. It's just that I submit to her for it. Yeah. She designs the budget. Well, and honestly, to to prove our point that we've been addressing here, if she wasn't good at it, like if she was misusing the funds and decided, I'm going to steer this my way and do what I want to do just for me and be selfish with it, you would suddenly have a problem submitting to her. Mm. Absolutely. You would no mm. longer feel comfortable submitting. And so it's no wonder... That when men abuse this verse, women now have a problem submitting. To which they deserve the biggest, most authentic, full of contrition apology. Yes. Because that was never like, oh, it was never the way it was supposed to be. Mm. And we should have so much compassion for people that who have endured that. 100%. And my prayer is that our community can be a respite for the for the for the for the female for a specific specifically the wife because that's what the context is in this passage who has endured that abuse and trauma. Well, and we should have compassion for it because in recent years the church all they'd say is well submit. Ugh. And the, and all they have to say is but I don't want to submit because he's misusing the verse. He's being mm. he's 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 leading me in the wrong direction. You know what I mean? And so it's like a I, I can see that tension, and so I, I, I just want I want the women that are listening to this and have experienced that to know that we see you. Like, we see the tension that you live in of, I'm told to submit, but everything in me is telling me that I, I can't submit to that. I can't, and I won't submit to that. Or, or the enemy is, has convinced you that you've done something wrong to deserve it. Yeah, and that too. You are never deserving of a misuse of power, ever. There's nothing that you can do to to um, earn yourself the misuse of power applied on you. Chris, you looked like you wanted to say something. About I, that. I just I have I have a very close um, I have a very close like firsthand experience of it going even further than a than a man just saying you need to submit and you need to obey what I'm saying and so 
because of that firsthand experience, like I just, I want to say like, if you're in that relationship and it's going beyond, you need to obey me. Like you, um, you have 100% support. I don't know about not speaking for the trailer. I'm speaking for myself. Like, uh, (laughs) come find me and we're going to figure out a way to like figure out is counseling needed. Um, I know the relationship that I'm referring to, like counseling was, was needed. And fortunately that biblically founded counselor said, I'm just going to let you know right now that this, uh, verbal, I'm just gonna say that this verbal abuse is going to become physical abuse. And so you, you can choose to stay in it and stay married because someone said you can't get divorced. It's going to lead to that. Like, I've seen it every it's 10 out of 10 times where you're at is where this is going to lead. And so I just speak on behalf of myself, not on behalf of of Luke, Nick or Mercy Road, like uh, go, go, go get counseling um, and separate yourself from that so that it doesn't become physical. It's not like. I, well, I would follow that up and just say, I mean, I appreciate the sentiment and I relate to it hundred percent. I would say that if you are enduring any kind of domestic violence, you just need to call the police. Yeah. Like if you are suffering any kind of physical abuse, you need to call the police. Yeah. And you have a safe place like at the church, like love, like this relationship, the church that we were a part of, they turned their back on her. And that was the most heartbreaking thing to see because not only is she having to wait through like um, this whole submission thing, like that was, that was held over her head as if she was supposed to do it. And it was, it was abused there. Then she had to wait through like, should I really am I like am I allowed to pursue a divorce in this whole situation? Mm-hmm. And then the church turns her back on her. So now she's isolated because she's mm-hmm. feeling these things, and then she becomes even more isolated because the church says, "Nah, I'm not going to be a part of this because it's too messy." The very community that was supposed to lift her up, yeah, supposed yeah. to submit and lift her up, yeah. instead turned their back yeah. and pushed her out. That's it was sad. It's heartbreaking. She's now married to an unbelievably godly man. Like it, it turned out beautiful, but like. It's that same thing. Like it could have ended horribly. Horrible. It could yeah. have ended horribly. Yeah. On so many levels. All because someone screwed up this verse. Yes. Yes. Again, this That's is why infuriating. <laughs> That's uh. why I think, like, man, it's just so true. Like preaching ministries have so much power because you have to be so careful. You have to be what so you say. careful because everything, everything is like. Because you even said, you're like, even I just said this. Like, I even said that just pray and the Holy Spirit can mm-hmm. change. But what we don't realize sometimes is that when we say that to someone in that kind of situation, like, there's an implication with that. Yeah. The implication is that... Be passive. Be passive, and I'm not allowed... Like, this is my only option always. Yeah. Like, there's not no allowed out. to express There's no the out trauma. beyond this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. I... If you are currently under the abuse uh, from your spouse, man to wife or wife to man, um, you need to know that my hope and prayer by God's grace is that Mercy Road Church Northwest uh, will not follow suit in what has been a horrible reputation for the church in the West, which is to side with the abuser Mm. Yeah. misunderstanding this verse. And that and therefore the church has misleveraged and misused their own influential power 
and not coming around and next to the victim and saying, um, there was a massive grossly misunderstanding of this verse. It was misused, it was misapplied, it was uh, it was done sinfully. And by God's grace, we the church can come along both victim and abuser and help there be reconciling restoration. But if you are listening to this and you're like, I am not telling my church what I'm going through because mm. uh, the last time I did that, mm. they sided with mm. the abuser and not me mm. and didn't show me any support. And I guess that, you know, the proof's in the pudding and you don't have to believe us because why would you if you've already experienced that? But I guess it's still worth saying. I think the church, the institutional church, we collectively, we want to know. We want to know that's going on so that there can be the right support shown to both parties, the abuser and the victim, and to create the healthy outcome, even if it means uh, separation. Mm. No, there is there is biblical precedent for yep. divorce. Yep. And there's just, I think there's this like sacred cow in the church of like, don't ever bring up that word <laughs> because doesn't matter the situation. That's mm. never an option. Really? Well, what if it ends in someone's life being lost? Because mm. that's happened. Mm. Yeah, I just I just want to say we're not a church that will turn you away. And I would say that we are not a church that will turn you away, but if we don't have the solution for you, we will find someone who can produce the solution mm. for you. We will not. We we won't say, "Hey, there's no room," or like you know, like like think of thinking back to like the inn, you know, when Mary and Joseph are trying to find somewhere to go. It's like we're not just going to close the door and say, "Sorry, can't help you." No, we'll walk with you to where you need to be, and to where you need to stay. And you must be willing to accept that help. Yeah, yeah. Whatever help you're unwilling to accept won't help you. Mm-hmm. And I know that it sounds a little bit um, like it's on you, but the offer is out there and. My hope and prayers that most local churches would jump at the opportunity to serve and walk along someone who has experienced domestic abuse of some kind, the misuse of, of power in the marriage structure. And if the local church can be there for you, we will be there for you. But if there's a service that we can't provide for you, you better believe that we will help identify that service and point you in that direction and walk with you along the way. I do want to ask, if someone is in a marriage where the husband isn't, it's a little bit of a dilemma. If you're in a marriage and, and the husband isn't submitting in the like isn't isn't loving in the way that he was supposed to love, isn't following the verse, isn't isn't obeying, and the wife sees that and is like, "Oh, I can't. I I feel like I just can't submit to that because he's abusing his power. He's abusing this power that he has come up with, basically a power that he didn't even get to have." but the church is telling me not to divorce. The church is telling me to fight for my marriage. How do I fight for that marriage? Because like we said before, you can't sanctify your spouse. God sanctifies your spouse. So you're kind of stuck. You're kind of stuck. You're in a little bit of a pickle of, you know, I've been told that I need to fight for my marriage, but it doesn't seem like there's much to fight for because, you know, how can I change them? I can't change them. Like what would, what would you, how would you go about? Yeah. I would say as long as it's not a, an abusive relationship, like as long as it's not abusive, as long as it's not abusive, like, um, 
ironically, the 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 pastor that led us through uh, Krista and I through our premarital counseling uh, was an atheist at one point. Uh, met you know came to Christ and then he became a pastor and was an incredible one. Um, but his wife was a Christian before he was a Christian. And, but it was, it was a healthy marriage. Like it wasn't mm. like it was unhealthy. It wasn't like there was dramatic. He just didn't believe in Jesus. And so she did. And she just kept praying. She kept praying and she kept praying and it was a loving relationship, but she kept praying that one day, one day, and then eventually it, it happened. I don't know if his story is his story, but like it just, it happened. And I would say as long as it's not an abusive relationship, I would encourage you pray. Like you can't change your spouse. You can't. The Holy Spirit can. And so I would just say, keep praying. Hmm. Like stay, your fight is, is by way of prayer. Your fight is just to continue to love your spouse and to continue to pray for them. I think I would answer that. Um, I thought that was a beautiful answer and, and certainly sufficient, but you asked, so I'll, I'll just, I'll respond as well. But I think that if you're in that pickle, if you're in this really tough spot where there's not mutual submission, um, and how do we go about creating a home environment, a marriage environment where there is mutual submission Obviously, getting into to marriage counseling or therapy of some kind is is critical. I am a firm proponent, hardcore believer. There is no such thing as marriage problems. It is individual problems that you brought into a marriage, and that most marriage problems can be resolved by the individual addressing unresolved issues, right? So we all bring baggage into marriages, right? So like a marriage problem is do you keep the toothpaste on top of the sink counter or underneath the sink? Like that's a marriage problem. Like everything else is you have an individual issue that has not been resolved and you brought that and it's being exasperated in the context of marriage, okay? And so if there is a misuse and a mismanagement of power within your marriage, you need help. You need help, and the the this is where you can lean on on your community, lean on God's word, lean on the people of God, and 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 literally make it known. I need help. Make it known to a pastor, uh, a volunteer who's who's uh, visible and present regularly, so that we can triage you into that help needed. And I would even say, like for the man who's listening to this call, who's just like, cool, you harped on me for 40 minutes, mm-hmm. but what you don't know is that I'm being verbally abused by my wife nonstop. To which I would say, like, you you both need help. And there's probably some submission on your spouse's part that has gone unresolved from her past. And so she's projecting uh, pain and trauma onto you because her desire is for to control you. And your desire was for to control her. And so I think that if there is a misuse of power, a mismanagement of power in the context of marriage, and um, there is a grappling for power, whether it's used via financial power or um, uh, verbal abuse power, and God forbid, physical abuse power or, or sexual, like that is where it gets so, so difficult when there is... Um, the call on one of the spouses to submit sexually, do this because the Bible says you have to submit. Like, there is nothing more inappropriate. There's nothing more inappropriate than that. 
that is the most um, gross mismanagement of power and the word submission that I could ever you know dream up. You need help, and and the thought that you, if you just keep doing what you're doing and you hope it gets better, hoping it gets better is a really bad plan. Like you need someone who can step in to your life, speak truth over your life, help you resolve things from your childhood or your early adulthood that have never been addressed, therefore always gone unresolved. And you will see, I'm confident, peace infiltrate your marriage in a whole new way. And so I think that um, if you're currently in a 911 crisis, you're like, Luke, I... We fell out of love a long time ago. It's like, well, you didn't fall into love. You basically committed yourself to someone that you had chemistry with, okay? All the sparks are flying because your chemistry worked perfectly, and you chose to commit yourself to someone for the rest of your life. You don't fall in love or fall out of love. You commit or you break that commitment. I mean, there's really no other biblical evidence than that. And if you are using excuses like that to as an out to get out of the marriage, there's probably more going on behind the scenes. Oh, I don't, I'm not in love with him anymore. I'm not in love with her anymore. Dude, that is just an excuse. There is something else going on that you don't want to address or you don't want to talk about. And what could have been a restored marriage, a marriage that is grounded again and that can thrive and flourish um, you know, you're ultimately taking a pass on that. And that is, that's a tragedy because God wants to use your marriage and can heal it, restore it, build it, make it successful. I have heard story after story after story where this is true. So I think there's a lot of hope. If your marriage is in crisis, there's a lot of hope, but you have to say yes to the opportunities for help in front of you. What would you say to a couple where the spouse that is being abusive isn't willing to go to counseling. Then what? They say, there's nothing wrong with me. You just need to submit. Well, I guess in one sense, we don't have the power to change people, right? Only the Holy Spirit does. And so I would use this as an example. Um, the moment that Ashley and I, who have been, I love her to death. She is a wonderful human being. I'm so glad she said yes to me. I love her. I love being married to her. I can't wait to be married to her for the rest of my life. The moment that she stopped trying to change my awkwardness and idiosyncrasies, and the moment that I stopped trying to change her equally awkward idiosyncrasies, is the moment our marriage literally took off and flourished and thrived. I don't like that about Ashley. I'm going to try to change that. Wrong tactic. I don't like that about Luke. I'm going to try to change that. Wrong tactic. Love them in the midst of their awkwardness and idiosyncrasies. And if one person doesn't want to go get counseling and doesn't want to go get go be, uh, go through the process of, of getting the help they need, you still can. Mm. You can still go on your own and just pray and cry out to the Lord and ask that your spouse's heart door would open up to him and that they would eventually agree to get the help they need. But just because they don't get help doesn't mean that you can't. I don't know if that was a sufficient answer for the person listening, but it is an answer nonetheless. Yeah, I, 
Assuming this, you said abuse, assuming this abuse is just misinterpretation, misinterpretation of the passage we're talking about and not like physical abuse. Like I think I've, I think I've made my opinion clear on what needs to happen if right. you're in that, but you know, it's, I would say, the, I would say the exact same thing. I would say like, continue to love and like what, what better testimony of transformation do we have in Christ that um, he continues to pursue and continues to love despite our rejection and despite us rebelling against his authority and against like what he, like we do it all the time. And yet he still comes after us. He still pursues us. He still loves us. And I think that is the testimony that, that you potentially get to take into the marriage context. Um, we continue to love and yeah, like you can't change them, but you can change your outlook. And like, um, if that's the best they have to offer, what's the best you have to offer? And then if you're healthy, prayerfully, they become healthy. Do you have any last encouragements, last things that, um, we want to say for our listeners? Yeah, it would be the same thing that what I said um, at the end of my sermon, and that I believe in your marriage. Like I believe in, yeah, I believe in your marriage. I believe that um, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus that our marriages can be this beautiful representation and a beautiful covenant that models the covenant that God has with His people. And so I believe in your marriage. I believe that you have the fight. And I believe that as long as we're choosing to submit and commit to each other, um, that we can have, like, our joy is rooted in Christ. And so I believe that that can be the testimony and our marriages can can truly be uh, built around this joyful happiness, true biblical joyful happiness, and be a representation to the world. My encouragement, I would summarize this way, that the biblical concept of marriage is not an antiquated idea, and it doesn't expire, and it's not going to expire. And if you're a Christian, and you're under the sound of our voices, biblical marriage is God's idea, just like the church is God's idea, and God's ideas do not evaporate. They do not fade. And so the church will always be around and marriages will always be around. It's just whether or not we agree with God that they are worth facilitating the way God has called us to do. And I'm contesting to say that it is worth it. And a marriage is worth fighting for. And a marriage is worth sacrificing for. Because although marriages have, have created pain and trauma, they've also been the context for great joy, the building of a family, the companionship that comes with that covenantal marriage. And I do believe that if you have gone through trauma and pain in the context of marriage, and you're interested in getting back in the game, so to speak, and you're like, well, I was once married. I have the desire to be married again. I don't think God placed that desire in you by accident. I think that God placed that desire in you so that when he fulfills that desire, you'll ultimately go back and worship him. 
And so my encouragement to all of our listeners is that God's Word is worthy and trustworthy of us agreeing with. We can agree with it. We can say, all right, this is guiding me, this is shaping me, this is forming me. I'm going to agree with God on the topic of marriage, even though I've gone through quite a bit of hell up until now. And if you've not gone through that that hell, you've gone through joy, praise Jesus, worship the God who thought up the institution of marriage, and allow your marriage to be a missional tool in God's toolbox to be used for the edification of the church, for the mission of Jesus to be spread throughout Indianapolis and Indiana at large. Because I do wholeheartedly believe that a marriage and many married people and many families ultimately make up a great foundation for a flourishing city. Um, That doesn't exclude single people. I'm just saying what God's Word has already said about marriage for for many, many, many years. To close, I'd probably, um, based on what we've talked about throughout this entire podcast today, whether you are single, whether you are a husband, whether you are a wife, whether you are, um, have been or are currently being abused in some way by the misuse of this verse or in other ways, um, Heck, whether you are the abuser and you are suddenly realizing, oh, I've been I've been doing this wrong and I need to fix this. Whatever role you are in, there is a God who sees you, who loves you, who cares for you, who wants what's best for you, who wants joy for you, and that there is accessibility to this God and to this fullness of joy, and that is in Jesus. And so I I just don't want us to leave without that being said of, yes, fight for your marriage. Yes, all of these things. Yes, all these things. But there is a God who sees your unique situation even beyond the, the seemingly black and white, you know, do or don't. Um, God sees you, God knows you, and God loves you. So that's what I got there. That's a good one. That's a good, that's a good place to end, I think. Uh, you can find more details and information about our community at mercyroadnw.com, and you can get a hold of me or Luke there as well if you go to our staff page. Um, so thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again soon.